you have not met, uh, my name is Rachel Toon. I'm the Dean of Spiritual Formation of Group at Montreal College. Uh, yeah, hello. Uh, that's where my Montreal people are at back there. Uh, and, uh, but Valley Lopez has been an important part of my story since being in North Carolina. So you all a very special place in my heart. So it's good to be with you and to pinch hit for Anthony. I'll try not to train wreck it too badly for him uh, upon his return. But you know, while Dad's gone, you never quite know what's going to happen. Uh, so. Um, over the summer, I got to check off a big bucket list item for me. I got to do the Camino de Santiago in Spain. It's a very historic uh, pilgrimage route. Uh, Andy's jealous, yeah. Uh, and so I did the one that started the northwest corner and kind of moses on down to this, this magnificent cathedral in Santiago where St. James is buried, allegedly uh, the brother of John. I do have some questions of the transport of that, but you know what, neither here nor there. Um, and it was really supportive and powerful, uh, but like any cross-cultural experience, there was a learning curve. Uh, because for three days, we could not figure out how to eat food before 9 p.m. I, I swear, nothing, nothing was open ever. And it, it kind of got to the point where we were starting to wonder if the reason Spaniards siesta all the time is just because they never eat and they're just exhausted. Yeah. Uh, and apparently they do, in fact, eat. We were just doing it wrong. And thankfully, three days in, we were rescued by two 25-year-old Brits who adopted us and decided to show us the ropes and take pity on us. And so we got to know these people over some long Spanish dinners and all of the hiking and I'm kind of getting feedback. What should I do? Should I do something? You're, you're fine. We're good? Cool. Yeah. And so we are, um, and one of my most kind of fascinating but heartbreaking conversations happened with one of my new friends, Kate. Uh, it's again, Kate's 25-year-old Brit, uh, professional working in, in London. And we were talking over some glasses of Tinto Verde, or Tinto um, Verano, which is very lovely. And she was telling me some about kind of her story. And this is actually her second Camino. She'd already done one before. She'd done the Norte, which is notoriously the hard one. I mean, that's 512 miles of a lot of elevation gain. So she's back for her, her second lap. And she was asking me why I was doing it. And I said, you know, Christian Jesus follower thing. And she looks at me really shocked and responded, really? You're actually a Christian? I just, I just so rarely meet someone of my generation who really is. It's always like kind of fascinating to me. I mean, like my grand's a Christian, and like, I wish I could believe, but you know. Do we know? Like, do you hear the kind of the ache in, in that of like, wow, really? You actually can believe in something? Like, man, I, almost, I wish I could, but I just can't. This, this wish that there was more. Just, just more, more to reality, more to spirituality, and just not being able to get there. I mean, for crying out loud, the woman was hiking 500 miles to visit a holy pilgrimage site that she doesn't believe in, but kind of wishes that she did. There's something going on. Uh, there's something deep going on there. And for a lot of people born and raised in the West, right, this is what living feels like. This is just wanting to, hoping that there's more, and just not really sure that you can get over the line. We really do live in a culture that is just inundated with doubt. We live in kind of this spiritual golden corral of options where there's so many, a ridiculous number of options for what you could believe, and you know what, but like who the heck even knows what's real anymore? How do you know this thing over this thing? It's just crazy. It's just complicated. It's hard to be a person of faith in 2023. And even people of faith can still feel this, this kind of pressure. Uh, Charles Taylor is a, a scholar who I like a lot. He describes it like this. He says, we cannot help but be aware that there are a number of different views which intelligent, reasonably undiluted people of goodwill can and do disagree on. 
We cannot help looking over our shoulder from time to time, looking sideways, living our faith also in a condition of doubt and uncertainty. And, you know, every generation has to face its challenges and what it means to follow Jesus. And, and no challenge is, is better or worse than another. And I know for, for many of the dear saints in this room, this kind of pressure of doubt is not the struggle that you have. Uh, you have lived enough of life uh, to see God prove his faithfulness to you over and over again. You don't doubt the value of following Jesus or of his presence in your life. And, and if that's your story, we really, really need you uh, because... What I've just described is the experience of so much of the younger generations in the Western world. And uh, odds are that even if this isn't maybe your experience, this is what your kids and grandkids are experiencing in Owen Middle School or wherever they're at, this kind of pressure. Uh, this is the world and the reality that they live in, even if they may not have the words for it. Uh, and But that being said, many of you in here might also be like my friend Kate, where you really do want to get there, and you just quite can't. Uh, you'd like to get on board with the whole Jesus and faith thing. Maybe you're here because you're trying to honor some important people in your life and do this out of respect, but you just really can't get over the line. Maybe you're busy surviving going to high school, which has brought up a lot of questions about Christian stuff. Or um, maybe you're recently an empty, empty nester, and you have spare time now for the first time in like decades, and you're starting to ask some questions that maybe you didn't let yourself ask. Uh, when kids were around, or whatever the case may be, uh, maybe you just maybe you used to believe, and then you just got burned real bad by Christians, and you're not really sure kind of how that all shakes out. So what do we do with all this? Well, it sounds like a pretty dismal start uh, to a sermon. How does it mean to be a person of faith in a world of doubt, to be a follower of Jesus, and all the complexities of life in 2023? Uh, well, the good news of God, friends, is that He He loves the doubters too. There, there's room for us in the kingdom, and our text this morning is going to prove it. So we're in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29, if you want to fire that up. All right, here we go. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And the hymn is Jesus, by the way, in case you that. And prayed out to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why can we 
be driven out by anything but prayer. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, so Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So there's a lot going on in this passage. It's kind of weird. Uh, there's a lot of dimensions to it. Before we dive too deep, I think we do need to sort of set the scene, if you will. Uh, and so basically what is happening is that mom ran to the grocery store for 15 minutes and came back, gallon of milk in hand, and the wheels have come off. And all holy heck has broken out, and things are all falling apart. So Jesus leaves them alone for five minutes, uh, and it all goes to heck in handbasket. At the beginning of Mark 9 is the story of the transfiguration. Did Anthony do that last week? Have we done this? Yes? Yes. Great. Yes. Okay. Glad I don't have to figure that out. Uh, and so this is uh, one of the most mysterious and magnificent moments in Scripture. There's, uh, there's really a lot of mystery to it where, you know, bedazzled Jesus is up there. He's talking to Elijah and Moses and God Almighty. And um, it's this really powerful moment of his kind of pet talk before the crucifixion. And so uh, he comes down, and when he gets down off the mountain... Things are not going well. Everyone is fighting, uh, and the disciples are going at it with the scribes, so they're kind of the experts in religious law, and it, it's getting hot heated to the point where there's a crowd gathering, so now there's spectators involved. And when Jesus comes around the corner, everybody kind of swarms him. Uh, and when he asks what they're fighting about, it's not the disciples who give him an answer. It's a desperate dad. He says, Teacher, I brought my son to you free as a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This poor kid has been tormented for years, and the, the symptoms are appeared to be those of an epileptic, but in this case, the gospel is pretty clear that this is not just a physical situation, that there is a malevolent spiritual force at work here. Uh, as just kind of a, a, a sidebar, it's important to remember that every, every case that comes to Jesus in the New Testament is different, right? He engages everybody differently. In some of the cases that Jesus encounters, people are simply physically sick, and so their healing is physical. And in some cases, the person suffering has a spiritual or demonic dimension to it, and Jesus always diagnoses the difference, uh, which is a good word of wisdom for us. Uh, but this story is different from the other healing accounts of Mark for one very simple reason. And it's that it didn't work. It, they couldn't do it. It didn't go well. The disciples failed. And what's really interesting is it, this is not their first rodeo, right? They, back in chapter 6, Jesus sent them out to do their thing, and they've been casting demons out all over the place. Uh, and so you would think that they would have kind of had the whole exorcism thing figured out by now. And they certainly seem to have thought that. But for whatever reason, this case is trickier, and their playbook does not work. And I would bet that some of you have come into church at some point carrying great suffering and hoping beyond hope that maybe you could finally experience some healing. And it didn't work. Uh, maybe the depression and anxiety just didn't go away or didn't improve. Or maybe the Christians you're around just made it worse and not better. Uh, whatever the situation, whatever the case, uh, you thought you could really find something more and it didn't happen. Hell, you're not alone if you don't that happens to people in the New Testament. So the disciples have failed miserably. But now, this dad's encountering Jesus. Jesus himself. And at first, Jesus is, is kind of frustrated with pretty much everybody. Uh, because dang it, all these people just do not get it. Uh, but then he focuses attention on this boy. And as what often happens uh, when evil powers encounter Jesus, the, the demon comes into his presence and he freaks out. And so the boy starts having an attack. 
but Jesus doesn't respond how I would have. Which is, I would have cast that sucker out right then and there and fixed the problem. Uh, but Jesus doesn't do that, or at least not right away. Uh, he does something that I think we would do well to imitate. He, he asks the dad for his story first. I think so often we Christians really want to just jump in and fix stuff. I certainly am that way. We want to give people the right answers so that they and we, more importantly, can move beyond the discomforts of pain or suffering or doubt. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just zap the boy right away in healing. Because apparently part of his healing process for this father is giving him the space to tell a story and to share uh, the depth of his pain and his frustration and his despair. And when we encounter doubting and suffering people, our greatest gift is not an airtight theological answer. The vast majority of the time, people do not need more information. Our gift is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so Jesus asks his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And so now we get to the big if. Um, this poor dad has been disappointed so many times. And he's exhausted and in agony for watching the suffering of his son that he is completely helpless to do anything about. And for years, he has no gas left in the tank. And here he went along and got his hopes up like he knew he shouldn't have done, hoping these Jesus people could maybe do something. And of course, it doesn't work. And he just can't take it anymore. His faith has run dry. And Jesus calls him out on it. He calls out the big if. The fact that this man is out of steam and out of options and out of hope. Because there's really only one way for a person to experience healing through Jesus. And that's complete honesty. Jesus can only ever deal with the real us. right? Where we're really at, where we really think, and what we really feel. And the thing is, when, when Jesus engages those raw emotions and those, that, those moments of disappointment, it's not like he doesn't engage those things with disappointment or an idol. That's not his response. Uh, that's actually what stirs up the deepest compassion in him when we come clean to where we're really at. And so Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So that's all it takes. This is one honest moment of confession of confused and convoluted emotions and convictions. And I mean, the man literally contradicts himself if you look at what he just says. I believe, help my unbelief. And fortunately, Jesus can handle our contradictions how complicated we really are. And this prayer, this, this declaration is not. Jesus, I'm, I'm not sure if I actually do believe you, but I want to, or maybe I just want to, want to, want to. Can you help? That's enough. Friends, this is the good news of God. Not even faith is something that you can conjure up on your own. Even that is a gift. And the whole point of the Gospel of Mark and of the New Testament is that you need Jesus, period, full stop, end of sentence. Uh, not even your own convictions are enough. And the end of this passage kind of reaffirms this, because when the disciples ask why they couldn't get the demon out, 
the, Jesus says the answer was prayer. They actually needed more dependence on God. Odds are they were leaning back on their own experience, uh, their system, or maybe their really solid doctrine about how the spiritual realm works. But it's not enough. Needing Jesus is the only kind of power there really is. And friends, you need him. Oh, y'all, hot mess. You need, you need Jesus, and I do too. Um, and whether you followed him for a lifetime or you're still on the fence about all this, this Christian stuff, we just need to throw ourselves at his feet and ask him to give us the faith and the character that we wish we had, but we just can't come up with on our own. It's a prayer he really does love to answer. So, um, of course, at this moment, in Mark 9, Jesus does answer that prayer. He rebukes the spirit. He heals the boy. Things get worse before they get better. Uh, anecdotally, that often seems to be the case uh, when people encounter the power of God. It seems like it does kind of get worse before it gets better. Do you notice that at first everybody thinks Jesus just killed the kid? Um, and everybody freaks out a little bit. Uh, but then Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him up to new resurrection life. Uh, so what do we do with a really weird story like this that is so foreign in some ways to kind of our own experience? And I would say it does depend. It would depend um, on whether you are the dad in the story. If, if you're like Kate, you might have a different kind of experience than if you're someone who loves that person. So if you are like my friend Kate, where you wish you could get there and you just, if you're honest with yourself, you just can't, um, here's how I think the passage might invite you to respond. One is to just be honest. I said, to not, but not only with yourself, though that's hard enough, but with somebody else. There's some kind of power in, in saying what you really think and what you really believe and actually kind of get, saying it out loud. Um, so talk to a trusted person about what you think about faith and life and what matters. Um, that's what it takes to start real growth and real progress. And I would also say, don't pull any punches. Jesus can take it, right? He, he is not afraid of our frustration or of um, our disappointment. And if you're going to sign up for the whole Christian thing, you had dang well better know what you're in for because it's a lot of like dying to self and serving people you don't like and other thoroughly unpleasant things. Uh, so if you're going to do it, you best, know, you best know what you're signing up for. And scripture is full of people who are ranting and raving at God over their messed up lives in this messed up world, and why doesn't God just do something about it already? Um, see a third of the Psalms and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's all in there. And so there is room for you uh, to be able to say whatever it is you need to say. So hit Jesus with everything you got. Hit him with the big if uh, and see what happens. And for you, lastly, I would just say to, I would invite you to pray that dad's prayer. I do believe that help my unbelief. Just see what happens. You might be surprised. Um, but if you, if you are maybe not like my friend Kate, but maybe you love people in your life who are going through that, um, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend um, of someone struggling with faith and struggling with doubt, I do think the invitation for you is different. Uh, I have conversations with college kids all the time uh, who are struggling with this stuff, and I know it's really hard to watch. Uh, it's really hard to watch. But I think looking at how Jesus deals with this in this story, we can get some very helpful Pro tips. So here's, I think, how Jesus models for us how to respond. And rule number one, if you are the loved one of someone struggling, don't freak out. I'm serious, right? If, if, if a kid comes to you or a friend comes to you and expresses that they're really doubting Jesus, they're really doubting faith, they're really doubting if Christianity is even a good idea, whatever the thing is, do not freak out. It's not helpful for an awful lot of reasons. Uh, for one thing, people will not be honest with you if they're worried about having to manage your response. 
Um, that is not productive uh, for the kingdom or for anybody else. And so, and the fact is, in our very anxious, confused world, I think there are a few greater testimonies to the power of Jesus than to be just a kind, gentle, non-anxious presence. That will speak volumes to the people in your life who are really struggling. So if someone you love shares their doubt and struggles with you, rule number one, repeat after me. Don't freak out. There, very good. Uh, rule number two is shut up and listen. Uh, let's repeat after me. Shut up and listen, okay? <laughs> That's really important. We talked about this earlier, but man, we so often want to jump in and just fix everything. Um, but we want to jump in before we've actually heard what the real question is. Um, people struggling with doubt, the vast majority of the time, do not need more information. That has not been the problem. They need to experience Jesus. And the first place they're going to do that is through you, right? You are the body of Christ. You are the first point of contact with the person of Jesus. And through your genuine care and your willingness to listen to them, to listen to their pain and readiness to love and accept them regardless of where they're at, man, God can do an awful lot of that with that. So per the example of Jesus, shut up and listen. And the last one, I think, is just be patient and pray. Y'all, the, the luxury of being Presbyterian is we play the long game. That's our whole thing. Um, God's going to ride this train out. It's going to be fine. We know how it ends, okay? So you do not need to get all bent out of shape. Um, you do need to pray your heart out because we know that's where spiritual power resides, and we know how hard it is to watch people we love struggling with this. But y'all, God's got it. Uh, be patient with them. Don't give up on them. Be patient with God. Pray your guts out. And he is working all things uh, to his good purposes. When one day, heaven and earth will be reunited at last. Um, so I'll just, I'll close with this. Uh, so when we were getting close to Santiago, the city with the cathedral in it, the, the goal of the pilgrimage, I was actually, I had pretty low expectations. I was kind of expecting kind of the religious edition of Dollywood, which is both awesome and worth doing, but also like commercialized and touristy and kind of mixed feelings about it, you know. Um, again, I'm not hating on Dollywood. That was just kind of my perception. And I was really wrong about what I was going to experience in Santiago. Um, the spiritual hunger there was real. It was heartbreaking and fascinating. Again, people trekking 500 miles to honor a religious site they don't believe in. Um, and it was tangible. And the, and the front of the cathedral is this very beautiful stone plaza. And people would sit there for hours after just come walking in off the road just to look at the cathedral. And just to get a taste of maybe that's something more that they really hope exists. Uh, but the best part actually was the mass in the cathedral. Uh, we attended the pilgrim's mass that Sunday night. And I expected it to be me and like six people. Again, very wrong. I've learned that any of my assumptions about what happens in Spain are all wrong. Uh, there were a thousand people crammed into that building. It was standing room only. I was like squished up against a pillar in the back. Uh, a thousand people of these literally dirty pilgrims from all over the, the world who had just walked in off the road into this cathedral. And you don't even really know why they're there. And this is how that Spanish priest started his sermon. He said this, I know many of you are here tonight because you have carried a heavy burden, and not just on the trail. But what if this is not the end of your Camino, but the beginning? What if Jesus wants to carry your burden with you? He promises he will. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Y'all, God has set eternity in the human heart. We are restless, and so we find our rest in him. And in all the spiritual confusion and complexity of life in 2023, God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is at work. And one day soon, all of the nations will gather together before the throne and before the Lamb and worship when heaven and earth are reunited. So if you are hurting or doubting or in despair, hang in there. Jesus is not done yet. Lord, thank you that that is true, that you are not done yet. And so we profess that and we claim that and we eagerly await your return. And God, will you continue to bring about your kingdom in us and through us. And and Lord, will you particularly bless today the people struggling uh, to buy into all this, struggling with doubt. Will you reveal yourself uh, in a powerful way that might just surprise them in your name?